I don't think you ever get over. You come through whatever the loss is, and then you find a way of being. Um, and you've got to build or rebuild the network or the touch points that help you because typically I would turn to mom. You know, if something good happened, I would pick the phone up. If something not good happened, I would pick the phone up. Um, and with that absence, you learn maybe self-reliance, you learn emotional strength, you figure out how you navigate um, anything that comes at you in your own way or you find other people that support you through the journey. Welcome to the Persistence You podcast with Lisbeth, and that's you as in university. But we're much more of a community here. I'm your host, Lisbeth Meredith, author, speaker, and online teacher. Each week, I'll be delivering stories from amazing survivors and strivers, all threaded together with a dose of persistence. So glad you're listening. Hello, and how is your week going? I'm standing in my freshly cleaned and reorganized closet. That was the joy of my Sunday this weekend, was just taking everything out and completely reorganizing. And it's funny how much that has helped me look forward to the fall. How is your week going? We are on episode 137 today, and I am so fortunate to have special guest Farah with us, and she literally does no, not go by a last name. I'll talk about her interview in just a tiny little second. I feel like more recently I've had sort of a, I allowed myself to have a little crisis of what is home and where should I live for the rest of my life. Just suddenly it hit me, like I think in late August when I was going through my early seasonal depression, just thinking, oh no, another cold winter, it's getting dark. But I started thinking, should I be moving? I've been here two years. Do I fit? Is this home? Where is home? And how do we know where our final landing place is? And I have to tell you that ultimately it was a good thing to go through that. Sometimes it's nice to really rethink, where do I want to be? And to I am so fortunate to have grown kids in their mid-30s that I can make this choice and they don't need me next to them uh, so that I could figure out from Alaska to Chattanooga, hey, where do I want to be? And in the next few years, where would I like to go? And do I ever want to have a place where I stay forever and ever, amen? Or do I want to afford myself the opportunity to decide bit by bit and not make a huge long-term commitment like I had in Alaska. So it's been kind of a neat thing. In other neat personal news, I will just say, though I didn't work hard on launching Grounded and Grit, Turn Your Challenges into Superpowers when it published, I am starting now to get a little more focused about just being on some wonderful shows and podcasts. Part of it's Domestic Violence Awareness Month this month, and I get to be a part of a fundraiser for a local um, Chattanooga room at the inn. But also, I, it's just nice to be able to talk about books and writing and true crime and all of that. So in no particular order, I am so thankful I got to be on True Crime Authors and Extraordinary People podcast. I so enjoyed that, as well as Murder, Blood, and Psychopaths podcast recently. A big thank you 
to those wonderful hosts. I am looking forward to teaching at the Chattery next Monday on Say This, Not That, what to say to some, you know, what to say basically to someone that you suspect is in an abusive relationship, someone that you know well, and you're at a loss for how to proceed. So I look forward to that. If you're in Chattanooga, join us next Monday. It's only $20 and part of the proceeds go to the uh, Chattanooga room in the inn. I think it's room in the inn, not at the inn. Uh, And I really look forward to, speaking of home, getting to be at a last-minute book group this Thursday. My friend, my childhood friend that I've known since before sixth grade uh, is, actually, I think we met in third or fourth grade. She invited me to virtually attend her book group. Thank you, Laura. And I'm excited about that. That will be this Thursday night, and we do have a big time difference between Alaska and Tennessee, where I live, so it'll be 10.30 my time at night, but it'll be a great way to end the day. So you can hear the cat meowing in the background. Oliver says hello to you. I just want you, I hope you enjoy Farah as much as I do, because she really breaks down in the conversation, where is home? Where is it? Where is home for all of us? Where do we actually belong And how do we know when we get there? And many other good uh, and universal topics like grieving and losing a parent unexpectedly, all of that. So what a beautiful thing to have Farah from Dubai. And I've never really thought about going to Dubai, but she was so delightful. I'd love to meet her. Hope you're having a great week. Thanks so much for being here. Please don't hesitate to rate, share, and enjoy this podcast. Love having you. Oh, and I forgot to mention, thank you to the host of Daily Refresh here in Chattanooga. I got to be on a little TV show last week also, and that was huge fun and a real big help. So thanks again. Farah, thank you so much for being my guest all the way from Dubai this morning. It is such a joy to meet you. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Really happy to be here. I really am excited. And when I realized that, it, you know, I get to spend time with another single mom of frankly adult kids who's a writer, I was like, yes, but your life story is so much more than that. So although you have a fabulous career in the financial industry, please let me know more about your life story and why you chose to write the memoir that, that you have. And it's uh, Mihar and me. Is that right? Pronounce it correctly. Meher. Correct. Meher. 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 Yes. See, I told you right before we got on, just for listeners, I I was telling Farah, whenever I practice because I want to get pronunciations right, then I get anxious when we go on record and then I kill it. (laughs) Slaughter. So thank you for protecting me. But yes, tell me a little bit about what your life was like and how you decided to write your beautiful memoir. Thank you. Um, So for your listeners, they'll hear that I don't sound very American. So I'm sitting in Dubai. Um, I was born in London. I'm a Parsi by faith and the religion is Zoroastrianism for those that might have heard of it. Um, And when I was four years old, my mother took me to see my maternal grandmother in India, where my mother was from. And um, through a series of circumstances, we ended up staying 14 years there and um, I always joke and quip that they forgot to tell me, you know, that the age of 
emotional parenting where you sit the child down and say, you know, this is what's going to happen was not quite uh, the norm at that time. So it was just sort of one day merge into the other. And before you know it, I was, you know, back in mom's school um, in a town where I didn't speak the language. I didn't speak Hindi at the time um, and going to school at this Irish convent. Um, the missionaries had set up schools around India and they those were the English medium schools. So it was the equivalent of a private education. And my mother had gone to that school. I was sent to that school. So here I was at a Catholic convent, um, Irish nuns, Scottish nuns, even Indian nuns, and in a town which was predominantly Muslim, the Nawabs had ruled Lucknow, in a country that was Hindu by mythology and being brought up in a Parsi home. So it was a very diverse cultural melting pot of experiences early on. And I think as a child, it's more osmosis. You don't really, you know, it's not a sit down conscious effort to teach you diversity or about different religions. It's just through osmosis and people you meet and friends of the family and what you experience out in the streets that you pick it all up um, and assimilate it. And it becomes part of your DNA and it becomes part of who you are going through life from there on. Um, when I was 18, um, because India doesn't do dual nationality, so it became a decision for do I stay in India or do I go back to the UK because I was carrying a British passport. And I wanted to go back because in my head, England was always home. And I always thought India was this sort of temporary little blip <laughs> just extended right. for a period of time. So um, I went back. I wanted to be a doctor. Um, but it, that wasn't meant to be. And again, through a series of circumstances and, you know, life and the universe directed me into the world of finance. So aged 18, I entered banking um, without a degree. You know, I'd gone to London with 20 pounds in my pocket, worked, you know, got a job in a shoe shop, worked in a hospital, mm-hmm. um, eventually got a job in a bank as a trainee. And then I've worked my way through um, the corporate ladder, and here I am in Dubai many years later, still in the financial world, um, building that career. And then in 2006, um, there was a tragic incident, and it was quite sudden and unprecedented, and we lost my mom. She was um, she was shot at, shot at um, close gunpoint um, oh. by some petty criminals out in the street, which have detailed in the memoir and um this was in india this was in india this was in our okay. hometown lucknow so i was in dubai and i had to go back to india obviously mom was airlifted from lucknow to delhi which is the capital because the medical facilities were better so i flew into delhi and mom survived for 25 days like logic would say you don't survive a gunshot but she did and her spirit was so strong um mm. but then the internal bleeding um she passed through the internal bleeding that the doctors weren't able to identify the source. Um, and so she, we lost her um, then. And I think it was journaling was part of the healing journey. You know, going to the grief counselor, going to my counselor, they would make me write about how I felt or what happened or circumstances surrounding the whole incident and the time in the hospital. Um, and then it was just, you know, sitting down, laptop, words started flowing, and I just started transcribing what was coming through and it was mainly around the incident which is the heart of the story um and then you know over the months and years I started you know building the other part you know my childhood mom's story the backstory of who we are how we came to be there 
um, and through the sort of journey of processing the grief and the loss to a place where you arrive where I don't think you ever get over. You come through whatever the loss is and then you find a way of being um, and you've got to build or rebuild the network or the touch points that help you because typically I would turn to mom. You know, if something good happened, I would pick the phone up. If something not good happened, I would pick the phone up. Um, and with that absence, you learn maybe self-reliance, you learn emotional strength, you figure out how you navigate um, anything that comes at you in your own way or you find other people that support you through the journey. Wow. I mean, I imagine there was so many mixed feelings as you were writing and in kind of doing the research on your mom's backstory, because I can only imagine as a small child, when you ended up in India from London, that could be very traumatic, you know? It was displacing. It was very displacing. And it's kind of that sense of belonging. That's always, I was not Indian enough. I go back to London, I'm not British enough. So that sense of who am I and where do I belong and where's your place in the world, which has taken quite a few years for me to get comfortable in my skin and be, it's okay. I can be, I don't have to be Indian. I don't have to be just Parsi. I don't have to be just British. I can be, you know, the author with the banker slash financial background slash someone who likes baking or any other aspect of my personality. It's kind of, getting to grips with it, but owning it and being comfortable with it, um, that you're just, you know, you're, you're sort of slightly more laid back about it. I love that. I mean, I, I, I've come to find that if you don't feel like you fit in in any one place, that can be a little bit of an ache and a longing, but the advantage is you fit in just as poorly or as well everywhere. <laughs> you learn that everywhere is your home because... You know, you are home. You are home. Correct. Correct. And that's so true. I mean, I say, you know, the body is the home to your soul. You only have this one home. When I'm talking about, say, my yoga or nutritional, the lifestyle choices I make. But I feel as at home in India as I do in Dubai, where I live today, as in London. And I can straddle the geographies, but also the culture with ease without having to stop and think or reset. It's very natural um, and it comes naturally so yeah I'm at home most places and you summed it up perfectly oh that's beautiful and what was it like now you're a mother so you're writing about these things that happened as as you were being raised in the different places you lived what did your kids think about your writing did they have interest or were they just like oh mom (laughs) yeah there were there were teenagers at the time, so I think it was more the oh mom. Um, when I had finished refining it and revising it, and it went through a series of revisions and edits, and you know, do I go the traditional publishing route or do I self-publish? And just was was I going to make it into fiction or was I going to keep it as I had narrated it, which was very factual and sort of my voice. Anyway, once I had the finished product, my daughter read it and gave me some pointers, which were actually, she was she was good and spot on in some of the comments she made. My son didn't read it till it was published, but gave me good feedback. So they both read it now and they're both good with it. But at the time, it was just like, it's another one of, you know, mom's projects kind of thing. Um, but they were teenagers, so you can't really blame right. or expect too much. 
And we have to hold appreciation just for the fact that it's anxiety producing when somebody publishes memoir in their in your family. And you know the other the other minor or main characters didn't necessarily ask to be in a book. So for my it's one has never read my book, and I think the only reason she watched it with me when it became a movie was because I sat with her and made her do it. (laughs) I got permission. Well done, you. about her but she just had it just made too much anxiety and to this day she I think maybe if I die she may read it then but she oh, may not. it's okay I mean you know it's gonna happen someday and maybe she will and maybe she won't but I always find it interesting to see what kids do so as you were writing it do, do you have relatives in India that know that you did this or or is it just pretty much uh, okay yeah so the immediate family I shared the sort of final draft just to eat I also, my mother's brother was part right. of the support system in giving me the backstory and validating some of the facts that uh, pre predate me. Um, right. And my brother features in it, so obviously shared it with him to make sure I hadn't, like I'd got it factually correct and he was comfortable with what I was saying. So I did share it with uh, some members to, to get their feedback input and just make sure they were emotionally okay with what was going out. That's beautiful. And you have that kind of family that you can do that with and you can get constructive feedback. So that is absolutely beautiful. And what ultimately was the response with your book from first from family and then from strangers? What's been maybe the most surprising thing in becoming an author? I mean, it's overarching. It's been great response. But I think what really touched me was a couple of male colleagues who obviously when they heard I published a book, bought it. And the heartfelt response, like really emotionally deep responses because it touched a nerve in them because they've lost a parent, for example, one of them. And he shared with me what he went through with his parents and his dad. Um, and the other one equally very raw, very, very sort of vulnerable about how he felt and the amount of tissues that got consumed through reading it. I just felt like it's touched people who may or may not have known my backstory. You know, when people meet you, they take you on face value. They may not know everything that's gone into making you the person you are or anything that you've experienced that you don't share with them. So that was really touching and really kind. And um it's it's been sort of very good, very positive. I get you know it's an easy read. I couldn't put it down. I really wanted to get to the end. You know, I stayed up till four a.m. reading it, um, and it touched and I cried. You know, those, so it's getting an emotional response and hopefully right. sharing a message for people to either take something from or pass on to people who might need it, um, need to hear about it at a particular time. That's beautiful. That really is that. You know, that there's that universal piece that resonates with your readers. Fantastic. Thank you. Job well done. Are you writing anything more now? Or are you just working <laughs> a little bit of book promotion while you do your other job? A little bit of book promotion while I do my other job, but the ideas are sort of in the head and brewing for, you know, another book. There's a section that I don't elaborate on, which are my London years, so to speak, and every mistake I made between aged 18 and 30 till I left. So I think that that might be a book on its own. And then because I cook so much, there's been a lot of requests for a book with recipes or the bits I bake and what I take in. And 
each of the recipes might have a story attached to it as to the source of it, whether it came from my mother or my grandmother or past down mm-hmm. or um, things like that. So it's a couple of ideas brewing um, and we'll see when inspiration strikes. That's beautiful. And do, how do you feel like your mom would have felt about the book? Well, I hope she would be very proud and I hope mm-hmm. she would have enjoyed the read. Um, and it's a homage, you know, it's paying homage to her. It's her legacy. Um, she is the heart of the story. So I'd hope she'd be quite pleased. But, you know, I say in the book, she, in India, we believe you shouldn't praise your own because it sort of attracts the evil eye. So Nazar in India. So mum wouldn't ever praise me to my face. She might say something obliquely complimentary, but never a full on, you know, you look nice or you did a good job. And I used to say to her, why would you not, you know? And she's like, A, I didn't want Nazar to come on you. And B, I needed you to be strong. And I'm like, okay, enough with the strengthening child, because I think we've overdone that. But uh, it used to be really interesting. To my face, it would be, you know, not not the praise, quite the opposite. But behind my back, I'd get, you know, feedback that, oh, she said you did this well or something like that. So it was an interesting, <laughs> interesting um, sort of thought process there. Reverse psychology at its best. That sounds, yeah, it sounds like you probably have a lot of then books to write that could be funny and fun. That's wonderful. I also love that you were able to pay homage to her, not the tragic ending, because, and you know, in my day job, I am doing some true crime interviewing for a t- for a YouTube channel. But it's so important that we all realize that our lives are not our death. That's just the end that we will inevitably have in any kind of different way. It doesn't mean that it doesn't matter or that it didn't hurt the way she died, but that didn't define her. You know, she had a whole life that sounds like it was very interesting and maybe a little quirky and fun. And yeah. she is, she is not her ending, you know, and you've managed Correct. to keep her in her story. Correct. Yeah. No, that that's very, very true. I think that's, you know, that shouldn't define my memory of mom and for a long time you know it takes you time to process the grief and the way we lost her it took me a long time to process it but as you say now mom's legacy for me is not that end it's more everything else that she sums up for me you know the the sort of the life the humor the sarcasm the the beauty the you know love of entertaining or socializing you know just an interest she was very interesting she was very um widely read and she loved to talk about different topics but um yeah I miss that warmth but she's not defined by the end that's that's very true and you found a way to keep her memory alive forever which I just think is fabulous for your whole family as well thank you yeah so where can people learn more about you and your writing and get a hold of your book um we have a website so it's called farah.press Farah.press is the Instagram handle. They can follow me. And the website is farapress.com. And on the website, there's a link to be able to order the book directly from any of the online retailers. So Amazon or Ingram, um, there's a Kindle version available as well. So I really hope your listeners would enjoy reading it. And I'd love to hear their feedback um, and their thoughts on the book. I look forward to reading it, reading it also. And Farah is with one R. It's not like the United States where we have two R's and a different pronunciation. It's F-A-R-A-H. 
Correct. Right. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay, wonderful. Well, I really look forward to reading it. And thank you so much for writing it and for being with me today. Thank you. Really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. So, so did I. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed it, feel free to leave a review. And if you've really, really enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe. And I'll see you next week. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.